One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college, or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, May 18th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Office is carrying out several deportation flights despite pushback from Mississippi immigrant advocates. Then a civil rights leader is starting a new march across Mississippi to push back against crime and racism. And a telehealth program created for public schools is expanded so students can access care throughout the summer. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Immigration and Customs Enforcement Office that oversees Mississippi is undertaking several major deportations. This week, the agency is operating several what are called repatriation charter flights, the final step to having someone return to their country of origin. Our Mike McEwen speaks with Patricia Ice, director of Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance. She is the legal project director. She explains these deportations and how they could affect immigrants and their families who are used to calling Mississippi home. I think it has a very negative and sad effect on the communities because many of the people who are being uh, removed from the United States have family members here. That's why a lot of them come here, because they have a family member here, and the family member may be documented. Um, maybe that family member could be a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident who is legally here. And so if someone is undocumented and removed from the United States from his or her family, that has a devastating effect on the family community and then the larger community. It's a terrible thing to be removed And it's terrible in general to be rejected. Coming here, having so many hopes and dreams when a person comes here and then having to be expelled and going back home is very upsetting. And it also can lead to the person being uh, killed in their home country or dying in their home country. It has a huge effect. And other effects that I just thought of is that many of the people who are being removed are working. And so it is difficult for the employers 
because they they have lost an employee. You know, I get calls from time to time from employers who are looking for employees. And also, I get calls from employers who had employees working for them, and the employees, um, the employees' employment card is expired, and sometimes they're able to renew those employment cards, but the wait is a lot, is very long these days to see the new employment card. And so because we have the E-Verify law here in Mississippi, that requires that an employer verify the, that the employee can work here in the United States, is work authorized. Some of the employers are hesitant to keep an employee on if the card has expired, if their employment card has expired, even if they know that the employee is going to get an employment card, you know, it's going to get reauthorized. So when people are removed from their communities, I would say the the major things that disrupt is the family life, the work life, and people are taken out of the community. And so in August of 2019, what became the largest single state immigration raid in the country happened in central Mississippi, I believe at six or seven different uh, chicken processing plants. Are you aware of any effects that those raids specifically had on that area of the state? Those raids were horrible, as you know. And they took people away from their families, from their jobs, from the community in general. So it had a huge effect. And actually, recently, I ran into the federal defender in the district here in in Jackson, and I asked him if they were still working on any of those cases from uh, 2019. And he said, yes, there were a few cases that they were still working on because some of the people were charged with crimes and immigration violations. And so they were being prosecuted in the federal district court here. So those cases, some of those cases are still pending. And then they had cases in the immigration court. And I would imagine that some of those cases are still going on because the immigration courts are backed up. And um, if a person was non-detained, they usually get the last shot at the court. In your experience, how have they legislated immigration in the state? Have they always paid it? So much of a focus is their relationship between, for instance, DHS and ICE and the state government in this? Since I've been here, and that's uh, 25 years, I have seen a lot of attention paid to immigration by the state government, and which is very unfortunate, very unfair, because only the federal government is supposed to uh, legislate and enforce immigration issues. So the state got involved because some of the people in the state legislature and mostly on the far right 
we're not interested in having immigrants here, undocumented immigrants here. And so they started legislating and trying to legislate a lot of anti-immigrant, a lot of anti-immigrant laws. In 2008, we had the Mississippi Employee Protection Act of 2008, and that law was the law that created the E-Verify. Patricia Ice is with the Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance and is an attorney. Coming up, we speak with civil rights icon James Meredith about a new walk against crime he's starting today in North Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Classical, jazz, indie, blues, folk, bluegrass, whatever you call your music. Find it on MPB Music Radio on mpbonline.org or the MPB Public Media app or on an HD radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Civil rights activist James Meredith begins a new walk across Mississippi. In 1966, he led the historic March Against Fear, where activists marched from Memphis to Jackson demanding equal rights. But when he reached the Mississippi Capitol, Meredith was shot, prompting other civil rights leaders to join in and help finish the march. Now he's continuing that effort with a focus on addressing the state's high crime rate and racism. We spoke with him about the march, which begins today in New Albany. So after New Albany, I will go to Ripley, and then I will go in, to Corinth and spend a night in Corinth. Hopefully I'll get a chance to visit with the elders and leaders of 10, leaders of, and leaders of 10 are drug dealers, leaders of 100 are drug pushers, leaders of, of, of 1,000 are the big criminals. Now, I want to talk to everybody. You understand, I ain't never met a criminal that didn't want his children to be doctors and lawyers. Everybody wants better than it. If they're given a chance, if they know what to how to make better, I'm announcing to the world. Are you taking your grandson or any other family members? If they go, that's their choice. I invite everybody, local and non-local, to join me. As a matter of fact, this is really a continuation of the Meredith March against Phil before I got shot the second day. You understand that? This is a continuation, 50-something years later. And, and, And I got shot the same day. And I am now continuing where I left off because, to me, the walk against fear the most important thing I ever did. And exactly what I was hoping to happen is that I would tell the people how to get their freedom, and they'd get it. But instead of getting a chance to tell the people, I got shot, and that ended it. And this is the new beginning of that ending. 
That's exciting. But if I don't do it and it don't work, it don't matter. But you're doing what you feel convicted to do. No, I'm doing what I think God required me to do. That's what I'm saying. And I've been promising I was going to do that, but I've been lying every time. Because every time I promised God I was going to do his will, I did Jane Meredith's will. And I ain't got no real reason to believe I ain't going to do it again. I mean, but my promise is to do God's will. You want people to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ because it will change their thinking. You got it so right. Everybody got it right, but don't nobody want want to say it more. Let's do it. How are you going to get young people to young listen people, to you? Young people, young people, that ain't the young people ain't the problem. It's the old folks not doing their job. That's the problem. You're saying, it's old folks who ain't doing their job. Are you talking about parents or the entire community? I'm talking community? about old folks. Anybody old enough to be a grandparent, and I know plenty of 30-year-old grandparents, anybody old enough to be a grandparent is an elder. You cannot become a grandparent without learning wisdom of the world. And we've been lying. We've been lying so long we believe our own lies. The only thing that I will pledge is that I'm going to go not only to every county seat, but to the 25 other cities with over 2,000 black population that are not county seats. And that means that I will go to more than 80% of the uh, where black people live, of the town cities where black people live. And only blacks can solve our problem. Nobody else can solve our problem. Only blacks can raise the moral character of our people. And my mission on this mission is to get people to at least talk about it. Whites won't talk about the white-black thing. Blacks don't even want to think about it. They not only don't think about it, they want to forget it ever happened. And ain't no way anybody can forget history. You can ignore it, but you can't forget it. James Meredith is referring to slavery there. He is a civil rights activist. The 89-year-old is launching a statewide march today against violence and racism in Mississippi. Coming up, a telemedicine program for public schools will continue service throughout the summer break. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A program that connects public schools with doctors is expanded to continue service for students throughout the summer. Since July of last year, the program has allowed K-12 public schools to work alongside the University of Mississippi Medical Center. A grant provided by the State Department of Education has allowed telehealth appointments to be free of charge aside from costs needed to see specialists or for 
prescriptions. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Christina Wright, director of the School of Telehealth at the Medical Center, about how the program is being adjusted for summer months. It gave us the ability to put urgent care and behavioral health services in public schools in Mississippi. And so over the last school year, we have gone through a phased approach of um, launching about 67 school districts where we um, worked with them to put uh, a computer with a stethoscope and an otoscope and um, contracted with their nurses and trained them to be able to facilitate uh, telehealth visits in the schools. So any child in those um, 67 school districts could just go to the school nurse or a nurse counselor or a school counselor and uh, receive services um, with a parent or guardian's consent. So um, what that did was that enabled the students to be able to see, uh, be seen where they are learning and they don't have to leave school, um, you know, and it's also a benefit for the parents who didn't have to leave their jobs to come get students who might be able to continue learning despite, you know, what their diagnosis might be. So it helped reduce absenteeism and gave quicker access to services. So we started out that, and we ended up with um, 67 school districts so far, and over 174,000 students can um, benefit from these services so far this year. So what we determined was, you know, that should not end because the school year ends. Some of these kids that have been receiving behavioral health services and also urgent care, there's a need to continue those services. With MDE's approval, we have expanded the services to include the entire state, so any public school student in the state of Mississippi can receive telehealth, urgent care, or behavioral health services over the summer free of charge, and that launches on June 1. So we're really excited to see that um, expand and be able to offer those services out to the entire state. I wanted to go back a little bit. Urgent care and behavioral health are the things that y'all are able to offer. What exactly does that come out to? What kind of illnesses can y'all help treat or identify um, among students when doing these telehealth visits? One of the things is for urgent care, you know, we can do minor medical issues such as asthma, allergies, cold, flu, head lice, sore throat, pink eye, headaches, rashes, fevers, all that can be diagnosed over telehealth. But, you know, we tell everybody to just, if you're in doubt, just go ahead and call and schedule an appointment. Um, If it's something that we believe should be treated by, uh, in person, by your um, primary care Provider, we will let you know that and refer you onward. Or if it's something that we think might be more serious, we can refer you to um, specialists and um, to be able to continue that care. So that's it for sort of urgent care. So for behavioral health services, you know, um, it is for um, non-crisis situations um, such as like anxiety or depression or coping skills or maybe your child has trouble maybe expressing feelings or they're a little off and you think there might be something more uh, behind that, um, you'll call and schedule an appointment with one of our licensed professional counselors who will see um, your child and um, kind of help diagnose and, and, and point them forward if there's further assessment or further intervention needed. But, you know, a lot of times kids just need maybe a couple of visits just to sort of talk to somebody to sort things out. However, if your child is at risk of harming themselves or anyone else, um, this is not the space for that. We would tell you to call 911 or the 988 National Suicide and Crisis Hotline. 
This is for um, non-crisis situations. How transformative has it been to have these services built into schools, available for students at no cost? Well, you know, access to care has has been an issue. You know, we're here in the Jackson metro area and some of the larger, you know, um, I don't think that we really understand what um, a struggle it is for some parents to be able to, um, especially with behavioral health, um, having access to those services. Just being able to do that where they learn and where they live makes it so much easier that they receive care quicker. So sometimes it gets things taken care of in a way that makes it less obtrusive, I guess. For the parents, sometimes transportation is an issue. They have to leave their job. They lose out on pay or or things like that. So what it's done during the school year is it keeps those kids that can be in school and can continue to learn, it keeps them from having that gap. So, you know, as a result, testing might be better. That reduces absenteeism. It keeps them in the the classroom and learning and, and, and doing better. And healthy kids uh, learn better, and healthy kids test better, and then they'll do better as a whole. What's going to change for the summer program? I know you had mentioned earlier that nurses in schools were specifically trained for helping coordinate these telemedicine programs. Are there going to be ways to ensure that the care is up to the same standards during the summer? Absolutely. Are the same great providers that have been seeing these students during the school year are going to be available during the summer. So we have the licensed professional counselors, so the same ones they've been seeing in the schools, will be who the parents can schedule with during the summer. And we have pediatric nurse practitioners on the urgent care side that have been seeing these students. So there'll be that continuum of care of the same, um, the same people that have been treating them before will continue during the summer. But we also made it easy for the parents. So they don't need to download any technology to be able to have access to these visits, and it's So easy that if they have access to a tablet or a phone or a desktop, we'll email them or text them a link. They click on it, and they can join the provider at the appointed time. So we wanted to make sure that the barriers were few and that there's not a lot of learning or training that would be needed for the parents to be able to facilitate these visits. As I understand it, a parent has to be present or a guardian has to be present for the call. Is that correct? Correct. You know, we do want to make sure that the parents are involved and the consent has to be given, and it can be given verbally, but they need to be able to be on um, the visit, and it needs to be the legal guardian or uh, parent to be able to be on those visits. Do the parents have to have any access to things like a blood pressure monitor to be able to participate in these? No, no. Our practitioners are very well-versed in being able to diagnose um, different things via telehealth. Um, They are specialists in this area. And um, so they will ask questions and they will do uh, various things to be able to, um, you know, find out if that's an issue. And like I said, if it's anything that they feel like needs to be escalated to an in-person visit, they will not hesitate to refer them to um, a primary care physician for them to be able to see uh, in person. How important do you think it is to be able to continue this program throughout the summer after students have been using this for the past several months? You know, it's very important. Having that continuum of care has become something that some of these students rely on, um, especially in the behavioral health space. Um, Some of um, having access to that has been um, really difficult and be able to reach with those and build those relationships. But even on the urgent care um, space, like I said, um, having this be able to be easy and convenient, keeping them healthy over the summer, so that they're ready to uh, continue on and be back in for the school year 
having that continuum of care is very important. Christina Wright is director of the School of Telehealth at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.